Welcome to South Park Church. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. So glad to have you here, whether you're in person or watching online, listening to our podcast. Uh, We're excited to be together to talk about prayer. How do we talk to God? How do we hear from God? We've been digging in for the past few weeks and glad to continue that series today. Recently, our church staff and I did a retreat uh, with a member of our church. Her name's Tamara here. She's actually in worship with us here right now. She's a professional, and uh, she walked us through the Myers-Briggs personality profile. Uh, And the reason that we did this was twofold. We wanted to learn more about ourselves. How has God created us? How can we get some self-awareness about how we interact and, and react to things in the world? And the second thing was to learn more about each other. Uh, We have some similarities in personalities, and we have differences in personalities, and we work together, and we're trying to build up God's kingdom here in South Park, and so uh, how can we better support one another, better understand each other, be a better team working together? And that was a very uh, fruitful uh, thing for our staff to do. It really helped us learn a lot, grow closer together. Tambry did an awesome job, and let me just give you an example. So uh, one of the personality parts of the Myers-Briggs, you take the test, the computer spits it back out, and Tamri helps you walk through that. Uh, one of the, the personality kind of uh, gauges is introverts and extroverts. Uh, so an introvert is someone who gains a lot of energy from spending time alone. They can be with other people, uh, but when you spend a lot of time with other people, it kind of wears you out, and then you have to have your time to kind of retreat to your own sanctuary and, and rebuild your energy. And uh, extroverts... They thrive off of energy from other people. They love being with others and gathering around each other, and and that's what feeds them their energy. Being alone kind of zaps them of their energy. And so just a kind of practical application of that is while we're rebuilding our campus, which we saw some really cool pictures of earlier uh, this morning, uh, those of us who are introverts, maybe you do or don't know, but we don't really have a church office. And so most of us work from our homes remotely. We've got laptops. We're in and out of South Park restaurants, all that kind of thing, but but for those of us on staff who are introverts, working without an office is awesome because we get to be alone a lot. And so uh, that's, that's a big part of it. But the extroverts on our staff, it's killing them. Uh, and so they're like, you know what? I just, I, I need to be around people. We literally had a conversation. We need to get together in a room and just do our work so that I can be around other people. And so, you know, that's some of the stuff that we're learning. One of the other kind of elements of the, the Myers-Biggs personality thing is, is the way that we receive information, how we interpret that. So I am an N on the Myers-Briggs. It means intuition, intuitive. So when data comes to me, what I look for in, in the data or the information from the world that's coming into me, I look for patterns. I look for, for connections. I look for the big picture about how things work and kind of plug in. And then the other side of that personality is, is sensory. Uh, they're folks who don't care about patterns or anything, but, but we want to know facts and we want to know data and we want to know things that, that we can observe with our eyes and our ears. And so we want to dig into the details. And again, an example of how this works, when we first started talking about relaunching our church and, and you know, rebuilding our church campus into a mixed-use development, uh, the, the data that was coming into me, I was super excited thinking about the big picture, right? God's calling us to be the spiritual center of our community of South Park, and we want to help people in South Park find out what it means to live life to the full in Jesus. And so to be the center of the community, how awesome would it be if on our church property there were apartment buildings and a hotel and restaurants and shops, and in the middle of that would be the church, and right? Wouldn't that be a great concept to plug people into God? We'd have tens of thousands of people coming 
onto the same property and we'd have an opportunity to build relationships with them. And so that idea excited me. And we, of course, we believe that's an idea from God. And so that's my personality. Now, thanks be to God, there are other people in the church whose personalities then ask questions. People on staff, people in our lay leadership, our, our church council. Well, you know, Pastor Kyle and others who see this vision and want to run there, they ask some of the hard questions. Well, how are we going to pay for that? And, you know, what restaurants are coming in? What shops are coming in? And how do we know that they'll align with the church's values? And, you know, what do we do when the parking deck's full and someone dies and we have to have a funeral? And, you know, how's that going to fit with the vision? And I'm thinking, I don't know. That's why God sent you to the church to figure that out, you know? And so it's such a beautiful thing that God gives us different ways uh, of existing and different strengths and, 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 and how we relate and, and process information. And so it takes, it takes all kinds, right? And so uh, without an overarching plan, I think sometimes we can get so caught up in the details that we begin to worship the details. And I think we could start focusing on, well, you know, you know, let's get in a big fight about what color the church's walls are going to be painted or who are we going to let in the church? Are we going to let other outside groups come in the church? We don't think so, you know, because, you know, we got to take care of these details with, you know, we got to keep the big picture in mind. It's like, yeah, we're going to share our space radically with people. This is all about leading people to Jesus. But if we just have dreamers who are looking at the big picture, then we're not going to be able to make that dream come true because we don't have the nuts and bolts of what it, what it takes. And so I think it's cool how God has gifted us all differently, created us differently, wired us differently. Uh, not, not one better than the other, but we work together. And it really has gotten me to be thinking about, as we go through this series of prayers, we think about how do we connect to God? If, if God has created us with different uh, personalities and different ways of, of living in the world, I don't think it's a stretch to say that we've all been created in different ways of, of connecting with God. And for some of us, uh, it's gonna, we're going to pray in a certain way. And for others of us, we're going to pray in different ways. And so I, I think just as we have different personalities and we, we interact with each other differently in the world, I think the way that God wires us sets us up to connect to God differently. And, and the way that I connect to God might not you know, give you energy or passion, but the way you connect to God does. And so as we think about prayer today, I kind of want us to, to be thinking about what is our personality type? And, and how can we connect to God? What connects us in a personal relationship with God? Is it more of our head? Is it more of our heart? You know, you know questions like that. And, and maybe to get the conversation started, I think for a lot of us, you know, we're taught, uh, you know, to believe that being a part of following Jesus is that we have to have faith. And that's absolutely a key component. And, and many of us, we, we believe in God because that God has revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself to us in history. God's revealed himself to us through the scripture. And so a lot of us, the way that we connect to God, when we pray, we pray with faith. Like we, we read about people in the Bible, how God's done miracles, how God's helped Jesus and Peter walk on the water, how God intervenes in our lives. And, and we pray to God, believing that God loves us and wants to be involved in our lives. And, and, and we have faith. Right? We don't have to worry, is there a God? Can you prove whether God's real or not? Right? Faith is what feeds us. It's kind of like God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You might have seen some of those bumper stickers. And, and maybe that's what, what all that you need is I, I, I'm a person of faith. I can pray to God because I trust the Bible. I trust God. And that's all I need. Like, like faith is where I am. And I think that's a powerful thing. I think God is grateful when we have faith and we trust God. But, you know, maybe 
Some of us would love to have faith like that. We'd love to have faith that moves mountains. We'd love to have faith that was unshattering. You know, you can't break it. We'd love to have that faith. But sometimes we we just don't feel that way. Some of us are wired to ask questions. Some of us are wired to, to have doubts. Some of us are a little bit skeptical. Some of us say, you know what, God, I'd love to believe in you. I'd love to know that you're true. I'd love to think that you act in my life, but I'm going to need some proof. I'm going to need some evidence. I've got questions that I just, I need to bring to you. And, you know, I think those of us who are wired like that, you know, maybe sometimes we, we feel guilty because of that, because we don't have such a strong faith and we have questions and we have doubts and we're not sure that God is real. We want to see some proof in our life. Like, you know, show me a burning bush or, you know, help me walk on water, or, you know, do something in my life. Answer my prayer in a way that I can see that so that I can believe in you. And I think sometimes when we're wired like that, that we feel guilty and we might think that, you know, there's not a place for me in the church. Is there a place for me following Jesus? Is there a place for me in the church? Is, is there a place for me to be in a relationship with God? Right? I absolutely think that there is. And so I think there's, there's room for, for both sides of this, like faith and questions and doubt. And I, I'm guessing here that probably all of us might have a mixture of that. To some degree, 50-50, 60-40, 70-30, 80-20, 90-10, some, somewhere in there, maybe we're all kind of wrestling with that. So, so as we think about how do we personally connect to God it, with the sense of a lens of faith, is it a sense of questioning? Do we need to see some proof? Like how can we connect to God, especially through prayer, talking to God and listening to God? That's going to be our focus today. And I'd like to jump right in into Scripture to see what it teaches us and, and how it can maybe help us with this. We're going to be in the Gospel of John. A gospel means the good news of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus. It's birth, life, death, and resurrection. Uh, the Gospel of John is in the first part of the New Testament. It was written in the first century by a man named John who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. So this is an eyewitness guy talking about Jesus and so here's what's happened. Jesus has had his, his ministry on the earth. He's healed. He's done miracles. He's taught. He's been crucified, nailed to a cross, uh, and he's, he's been resurrected by God. And so he has appeared to his disciples. He had you know, 12 main disciples. One of them is now dead, Judas. So there's 11 like, main disciples left, even though there's a lot more than that. And Jesus shows up one day after he's resurrected, and he appears to his disciples, and 10 of them happen to be there. And they're like, they're blown away. Like, you know, this is the real deal. This, is, this guy did what he said he was going to do and all that kind of stuff. And, and then Jesus goes away. Uh, and there's one disciple who's not there. His name is Thomas. And so the other 10 disciples, they find Thomas. And they're like, dude, you're not going to believe what you just missed. Uh, and so that's where we pick up the story in John's Gospel, chapter 20, beginning with verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus... Right, Didymus. Can you imagine on Thomas's first day of school, the teacher's taking role? You know, John, Susan, Didymus. And he's like, it's Thomas. You know, why do my parents name me such a stupid name, Didymus? You know, it's Thomas. Call me Thomas. So anyway, now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, man, we have seen the Lord like in person. He is alive. Like he was not lying. He, he's 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 here. He's real. Right. But Thomas said to them. Man, what's wrong with you guys? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side where they stuck the spear, which is really kind of gross and creepy. If if I don't do that, if I don't see it, if I don't touch it, I will not believe. So a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. 
Those of us who have unwavering faith are like, yeah, no problem. Jesus somehow walked through the door. Those of us who are a little more skeptical want a little proof. Like, how did Jesus get in the door? Did he have a pass key? Did he pick the lock? Did he change his molecules to where he could phase through the wall? Like, you know, again, we all process and connect to God differently. But some way, somehow, Jesus enters the locked room where the disciples are, probably because they're scared. Because Jesus has been killed. The people that killed Jesus, they're not fans of the disciples. So we got to keep our guard up. We got to lock the door, right? Jesus comes in and says, Peace be with you. Then Jesus turns to Thomas and he says, Put your finger here. See my hands, right? Reach out to my hand and uh, reach out your hand and put it into my side, right? Where the spear was. Thomas, stop believing, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. It's not clear whether Thomas touched the nail prints, stuck his hand in Jesus' side, but it's enough for Thomas to believe. And he makes a huge confession. My Lord and my God, you are the Lord, you are the God. No one's made quite the level of confession. You know, maybe Peter's close when he confessed Jesus as the, as the Messiah. But like, this is a big deal, right? Thomas is saying something that no one else has really said yet. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Right? That's great, Thomas, right? You see things, you believe it. That's awesome. Blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed. There's going to be a bunch of people in the future. They're not going to see, you know, me like you're seeing me, Thomas. Blessed are they who believe who have not seen. Now, we've probably all heard about this story. Maybe maybe we've read it. Maybe we've heard it read to us before. And we always associate uh, the disciple Thomas with the word doubt, doubting Thomas. And, you know, in, in the NIV translation, it says, yes, yeah, stop doubting and believe. I think the original Greek translation says stop being unbelieving and start believing, right? I mean, it's semantics, right? Thomas is struggling with his faith here. He's struggling with believing in Jesus without being able to see him. But I think sometimes we give Thomas too much of a negative kind of reputation. I mean, what I see in what Thomas is doing is, is, is instead of doubting Thomas, to me, he's more questioning Thomas. He's like, you know, I know Jesus. He did miracles. I'd love for him to be alive. But guys, this is crazy. Like, like Jesus bringing himself back to life right three days later. Like, I, I will need to see some evidence. I need to see, right? If I see him, like, I'm in, guys. Like, you know, I, I've got that, right? And so... And I'm guessing, if you're like me, that all of us would probably be a little bit like Thomas, right? We want to believe Jesus came back to life. You know, we saw he was killed. He's been put in the tomb. Like, we'd love to know, but we'd feel a lot better if we actually saw the proof uh, that it really happened. And, you know, then Jesus comes and he says to Thomas, Hey, Thomas, if you need to touch the nail prints, here they are. If you need to touch my side where where the spear was, man, it's okay, right? If, If this helps you in your faith, right, if this helps you... Right, absolutely do that. Right? He he doesn't like say, Thomas, you're such a moron, right? I've been with you uh, these three years of ministry and you you've seen all these miracles. Lazarus came back to life, right? You don't believe, man, just get out, go away, right? Jesus doesn't do that. Right? Which is pretty pretty powerful because you know, earlier the lead disciple Peter said to Jesus, he's like, you know, Jesus, I don't want you to have to be crucified. And uh, Jesus says, uh, get away from me, Satan, get out of the, get out of my get out of my space, right? You would expect that kind of treatment to Thomas, but Jesus doesn't do that. He's like, Thomas, it's okay. Here I am. You want to touch? You want to look? Here I am, right? And then Thomas believes, right? He doesn't even have to touch. He's like, man, this is, this is the Lord. This is God. Like, I am down with this, right? Thank you. And Jesus said, Thomas, you believe because you see. And that's great, right? That's great. There are also going to be people who don't see and believe, and that's, that's going to be awesome too, right? So, what I take away from this is that certainly there's room for faith and believing in Jesus, whom we haven't seen like Thomas. That's all of us, right? I mean, unless Jesus appears to us in a special revelation, right? we, we do have to have 
some faith in our lives, absolutely. But I think Jesus is also saying to us, if we have questions, if we're a little bit skeptical, we have some doubts, we want to see some evidence, we want to see some proof that God's big enough, as we just sang earlier, for us to, to bring that to God, right? And so I want us to, to, to wrestle maybe a little bit more with this about just how far can we question God? Just how far you know, can, can we do that? And so uh, when you think about like faith versus logic, faith and reason, you know, religion and science, uh, there's different ways of coming at them. Like, are these things compatible? Like, can we be people of faith and also be reasonable people? Or are we just, you know, kind of crazy people who believe stuff that, that was written 2,000 years ago, right? And so there's different ways that people kind of see science and religion or faith and reason in existence. And, and one of the models is, is conflict, right? That either you believe in religion or you believe in science. Either you believe in faith or, or you believe in rational thinking, right? Like, they, 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 they're going at each other. Like, it's, it's a conflict. Like, it's a fight. Like, they can't coexist without being in conflict. And uh, you see a lot of people writing books, making a lot of money about this, like, you know, Richard Dawkins, people like that who just say, you know, faith is stupid. You're stupid if you have faith, right? There's no way there's a God who does all this kind of stuff. And so that sells a lot of books. And really the the conflict model between faith and reason is only about 100 years old. I mean, think about how long people have been alive. That's a pretty recent kind of development. A lot of scientists and stuff uh, have been people of faith for a long time. And so the conflict model is not one that I really kind of adhere to. Uh, another model would be independence. It's kind of like faith and, 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 and reason, science and religion. You know, they can coexist. They don't have to be at odds with each other, but we need to keep them separate. Like, so on Sunday, I, I wear my hat of faith. Monday through Saturday, you know, I'm back in the real world uh, where, you know, I, I deal with science, I deal with rational thinking, I've got a lot of questions. And so let's just keep those two things compartmentalized. I'm not so sure that that's the most healthy way of dealing with rational thinking and, and having faith, uh, religion, science, that, that kind of stuff. And so I like the third one, uh, and that is a dialogue, uh, that, that faith can learn from science and that science can learn from faith. Faith can learn from reason. Reason can learn from faith. And so, uh, you know, I, I think that science, as scientists and, and really smart people figure out how the world works and how the universe works, they're just figuring out how God created everything. And as people of faith, that's exciting to say, yeah, we believe in a God, and if that's how God created things, that's awesome. Thank you for showing us that. And so science can help people of faith learn more about how God created this amazing creation, the world and the universe. And I think science can learn from faith because science focuses on how things happen, how things are done. But science doesn't deal with the question of who did it or why is it happening. Right? So if you, if you take the scientific theory of the Big Bang Theory, that it, the universe just you know, started one day, boom, it exploded and it, you know, it spread out. Right? If, if that's the way God did it, that's the way God did it. Science doesn't an- answer the questions, well, well who, who lit the fuse? Right? We believe God lit the fuse. Why did God light the fuse? Why did God create the universe? And, you know, and, and we believe that God created the universe to create relationships. And, and that's just amazingly cool that God would do something like that to be in relationship with us and, and, and whatever other life that there is in the, in the universe. And so for me, I think the dialogue's more encouraging and that those of us who really have great faith, those of us who have great questions, that, that we can be in dialogue together and we're not opposed to one another. And you know, what brings me great comfort is someone who wants to be a rational thinker and also wants to have faith is that all truth is God's truth. 
Whatever scientists discover, whatever they can prove is real, that's the way God made the universe. That's awesome, right? And whatever the Bible teaches that, that we believe is, is real and our theology, right, the truth of God and why God created us and, and that sort of thing, that, that that's really cool too, that all truth is God's truth and we shouldn't shy away from that, that, that we can learn from each other. So what does all this have to do with prayer then? And I think for me, in thinking about prayer, obviously, there, again, there's those of us who have faith. I pray. I believe that God's going to respond to my prayer. He's going to say yes or no, or you got to wait. But, you know, God's going to answer my prayers. I don't care how God answers my prayers. I don't care how he heals someone as long as God heals someone. I don't care how he, you know, speaks to me, you know, in my mind or whatever. As long as he does that, I don't care. Whatever God does in my life, however he does that, I don't care. I just, I have faith in God. But then there's others of us who's like, you know, I want to know, what, what does God do when I pray? Like, like, how did Jesus and Peter walk on water? Did God freeze the water? Did he make the molecules hard? Like, like how does he do that? How does a burning bush talk to someone? Like, like I, I want to see a burning bush. I want to know how that happens. How does God heal someone of a disease? How does God speak to me in a way that I can understand when it's not an audible voice? It's just something that it comes to my mind or it's a feeling that I have. How does... How does God actively work in the world? Is God like pushing electrons and neutrons and stuff? Or how does God do that? And so I want to think about that for, for just a few minutes, if you'll just kind of entertain this with me, especially those of us who, who have doubts, who have questions, who want, to, want some evidence, who want to know if our faith can be something rational and that we're not just a bunch of crazy people, that we, that we don't want to check our brains at the door, that we can bring our brains into church and we can think about God in rational ways, even as we have faith. And so, uh, quick science lesson. Hope this doesn't bore you incredibly too much. But uh, the first people survived in the first uh, service, and uh, they didn't die. So, anyway, uh, we're going to look at it from a, a Newtonian uh, viewpoint. You know, Isaac Newton, right? The guy that got hit in the head with the with the apple or whatever talks about gravity, that kind of thing. Uh, just think in terms of the uh, Newtonian kind of concept of science. And what I'm going to talk about is, is way more than Newton. But anyway, just think about science from the 1600s, the 1700s, the 1800s, and the 1900s, right? Like 400 years of science. Some of the main things that, that, that were taught to us. Uh, and one of them is that, that there is a God... And that God created the universe, and, and God is like this, this watchmaker or a clockmaker, that, that, that God created the universe, he created these laws, like he made this cosmic clock, and it's perfect, and, and God winds the universe up, he winds the clock up, right, and he steps back and says, all right, right, I'm God, I'm perfect, I've created the universe, it's going to run itself, right, there's, there's laws of gravity, if you take a brick on top of a building and you drop it off the building and you know how tall the building is, you can measure how fast it's going to hit, you'll know exactly when the brick's going to hit the, the cement, right, that, 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 you know, God is this, this clockmaker, and it's, it's kind of this, uh, there's the word deism, kind of like people believed in God, right, but God was not really active in the universe once God created the universe because God created a perfect universe and it was in order and the laws of the universe would follow themselves. And so God created, God just stepped back and let things happen. Now that's problematic for those of us who follow Jesus because we believe that humans messed up the world and that God intervened through Jesus, that our God is a God of intervention, right? And so it's hard for us uh, to, to wrestle with the idea of deism. But these scientists, you know, that's what they observed. It's kind of like there are these rules, there are these laws, and they're predictable, right? And so we know that the earth will turn around 
once every 24 hours. And so it's going to spin around. We'll have day and we'll have night. We know that the earth is going to go around the sun. Uh, it's going to take 365 days to get around the sun, but it's going to get around the sun. Right? These things are predictable. You drop the brick from the, the top of the building, it's going to hit the ground. You know the, the height. You can calculate how long it's going to take. To, like, there are things. The, the universe is set. Right? God made it. God created it. There's, there's, there are these universal laws of gravity and physics and all that kind of stuff. And God is not going to intervene in that because God's perfect and he created the perfect universe. And so you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? How could God break his laws that he made if those laws are perfect? And so this kind of an idea of the world and the universe is a world where God creates everything, steps back, and there's no real room for intervention, Right? No real room for miracles. These people were not really big on miracles. Like how can a miracle like walking on water or causing the sun to stand still for a day like in the Old Testament or, or causing a star to move around so the wise men can follow it, right? That, that can't be God working in the world because God has set up the, the perfect world and he can't break his own rules. It's like the old philosophy question, can God create a rock that's too heavy for God to lift, right? Because God's supposed to be, do, be able to do everything, but can God create a rock that, that God's too, is too heavy for God to lift, right? It's a paradox. You just can't answer that question. Same thing with the Newtonian view of the universe. God created the universe. He stepped back. It's perfect. He can't break his own perfect laws, so he can't interact. And, and that brings me a lot of grief, like, because I believe in miracles, and I believe in answered prayer. I believe in intervention, divine intervention. I believe God sent Jesus into the world to save us. And so... So when you look at it from that standpoint, the science is really challenging to prayer. It's really challenging to miracles. And so, you know, kind of like Clemson being Duke and Carolina basketball this month. I mean, that, that's a miracle. How do you explain that, right? And so anyway, uh, so, so thank goodness that the scientists, modern scientists, have discovered more about science that helps us as people of faith. Uh, and, and these are just some of the things that scientists have discovered while the big things in the universe are pretty predictable, like gravity and the rotation of the sun or the earth around the sun and all that kind of stuff. There are a lot of things that are absolutely 100% predictable, and you can measure that, and these universal laws are followed to a T, that kind of a thing. But then there are things that scientists have observed in the universe that they can't understand, and they can't quantify, and there's a lot of mystery in there, and it leaves a lot of room for God to be moving. And one of these is quantum theory. And that's simply trying to understand the smallest parts of the universe, like the atoms that make up our bodies and make up this microphone and, and these lights and the earth, like the small parts of the universe, like protons and neutrons and electrons. Scientists want to study them like they can study a sun or study gravity when you drop the brick off of the building. But what scientists have discovered is that when they can look inside of an electron, which I have no idea how they do, I'd love to be able to look into inside of an electron, They've discovered that by simply sticking their instrument into the electron, uh, it changes the natural uh, existence of an electron. So they, they don't know what it looks like inside of an electron without sticking their instrument in there. When they stick their instrument in there, it changes things. So the scientists don't know what it looks like inside of the tiniest parts of, of the things that make up the universe. So they don't know what's in the smallest parts of the universe. Now, hang on, that's going to be important in just a minute. Another part of this quantum theory uh, is string theory, 
And they say that there are things even smaller than electrons, that there are these tiny, teeny, tiny little strings that make up the whole universe. And these little strings vibrate. And how the string vibrates creates a sun, creates a star, creates a microphone, creates a, a, a thought in my brain, like these little, everything that happens is made up by these little bitty strings and the scientists have no way of seeing them or understanding how to control or manipulate them. Uh, another thing that scientists have discovered that, that kind of gives some room for God uh, is multiple dimensions. Uh, if you had a, a box delivered to your house today from Amazon, and you, you saw on your ring doorbell that someone had you know, left the box at front of your, of your house, and you went and you got the box, uh, how many dimensions would you notice on that box? You would notice three. How long it is, right? how tall it is, and how wide it is. Right? So those are the three dimensions that we can see, right? You go to see a movie in 3D, right? There's three dimensions that we observe in the universe. Scientists would add a fourth dimension, and that's time. How long did it take Amazon to bring your box from their warehouse to your front door, right? That's time. So there's four observable dimensions, right? Length, width, height, uh, and then time. We can, we can see things in the world. Scientists now believe that there are actually at least 11 different dimensions, Seven of them we can't see, right? It's pretty cool if you think about it. There's seven dimensions that we can't see where God might be able to be doing some things that we just don't understand. And then there's chaos theory, which is just a, a fancy way of saying that the things in the universe that we think are so predictable really aren't as predictable as we think that they are. Uh, for example, if a hurricane comes and brings a lot of rain and wind and does a lot of damage to Miami, Florida, that's a horrible thing. And we know meteorologists that study that. They know the hurricane's coming. We can give the, the warning ahead of that. But what really causes a hurricane? I mean, we have some ideas about that. But scientists would say that there's things that happen in the world that have causes that are connected across the world that we would never be able to figure out. Uh, for example, uh, they call it the butterfly effect. So a hurricane that could wipe out Miami with water and with wind Part of the contributing factor to a hurricane could be a butterfly that's flapping its wings in Africa, joins together with other wind currents from around the world. Those wind currents come together and, and they land on poor Miami and Miami gets soaked with water, gets soaked with wind. And a part of that, not predictable, was some butterfly was in some bush in Africa and helped send a hurricane to Florida, right? Like, that's science, right? So, so what does that mean for prayer? What does that mean for our faith? What does that mean for those of us who have questions or we want to we ask God for evidence or, or some, you know, can we have a rational system of belief kind of a thing? I want to go back to Scripture. This is in the Old Testament. This is uh, in Jeremiah. And this is a, a prophet is a spokesperson for God. And Jeremiah says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Right? Is anything too hard for me? And the answer, of course, is no, nothing's too hard for me. Those of us who have faith, we believe God created out of nothing. We believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. We believe that God made the sun stand still for a day. We believe things like that, right? But for those of us who have questions, is there anything uh, too hard for God? Uh, no. And we've just seen it in, in modern science that with quantum theory, with string theory, with, with multiple dimensions, with chaos theory, butterfly effect, that there is plenty of room in the world for God to work in ways that we don't see or understand, but is within right, the laws of science, within the laws of physics. Right? God has built in this mysterious place for God to go to work. 
right? So, so maybe Jesus walked on water because God was working in one of those seven dimensions to make that possible, right? Maybe uh, the sun stands still because Jesus knows how to play those little strings, right? He's got a little mini violin. He plays all the strings with the string theory, and he knows what strings to push when. And so Jesus can answer our prayers by adjusting some strings in the world or the universe, right? For me, I think this gives us great hope that in the laws of the universe, which God created, God is in charge, but even within his laws, he left room for himself to go to work and to answer our prayers and to talk to us in prayer and to connect to us, right? And so it gives room for God to operate in the world, in the universe. And so our faith can be reasonable, right? Right? Another thing that it does is, you know, a lot of arguments against prayer, a lot of arguments against faith, a lot of arguments against miracles are like, it just doesn't make sense, right? A man walks on water, a man comes back to life, a sun stands still. If you have common sense, you're not going to believe that. But does it make common sense that a butterfly helps cause a hurricane in Miami? Absolutely not, right? But that's the way God made the universe. And so just because something doesn't make sense doesn't mean that God didn't cause it and can control that. So, so what does this mean for our personal prayer lives? What does this mean for our lives as Christians? What does it mean as, as followers of Jesus? What's, you know, what's the point? What's the big idea? What, what do we take away from this? I think for me is that the prayer has room for both trust and questions, right? For those of us who have faith, it's easy to pray. For those of us who have faith, we trust God. We trust the Bible, and, and we can lean on that, right? For those of us who have doubts, for those of us who are skeptics, for those of us who want evidence, for those of us who want our faith to be rational, there's room for us just as much, right? There was room for Thomas. There's room for us, right? And there's room for our doubts in 11 dimensions. There's room for our doubts in quantum theory that, wow, this God can be absolutely rational. I can be a person of faith and not be a moron or a complete idiot. I can be a rational human being who can connect to God, right? So prayer has room for both trust and questions. And I think that that's, that's important for us, those of us who have faith and those of us who struggle with faith. What I think that says is there's a place for you. That you don't have to feel guilty for having questions about God. You don't have to feel guilty that, that you don't have the faith of Moses or the faith of Mother Teresa, right? You don't have to feel guilty if you do have the faith of Moses or the, or the faith of Mother Teresa. That God's big enough to handle whether we have strong faith or whether we want to see some proof and we want to we question things and, and we want to wrestle with that, right? There, there's room for all of us with God, with Jesus, in this church, reading Scripture and trying to be in a personal relationship with God. We can take our questions to God, we can take our faith to God, and we can be reasonable human beings when we do that. Right? So an application, something that I'd like to ask you to do this week is, as you spend personal time with God in your prayer time, is, is ask God to speak your language. Right? If, if you're a person of faith, if you're a person who believes in the Bible at, at, you know, at the surface level, you know, say, God, thank you for this faith and make my faith even stronger. Right? Thank you for connecting to me in this way. If you're a person who has questions and needs evidence and, and say, God, you know how I'm wired. You made me this way. Right? Throw me a bone. Show me that you're real. Help me to think about you logically. Help me to connect with my mind, God. Right? I, I understand that you want my heart too, but help me connect to you in your mind. Right? And so ask God to speak to you in the language that you're wired to be spoken to. 
And, you know, I, but, you know, like in my own life, sometimes I'll pray to God. I'll spend time like in my office or in my room and I'll have my Bible. I have my journal. You know, I'm just doing all the like the churchy kind of way of praying. And sometimes God speaks to me in those in those instances where, you know, thoughts just come in mind that they can't be mine. They must be of God. And sometimes I pray in those situations and I get nothing. Like, it's quiet. It's crickets, right? I just, I hear every spider creaking around the house, whatever. It, but, but then later, I'll be reading a book that has nothing to do with religion or the Bible. I'll be watching a movie. I'll be out with my family. And all of a sudden, God just opens the floodgates and, and just and hits me with stuff. And so I would say to those of us who wrestle with faith, to, to ask God to speak to you in everyday life. Right? When you're watching a documentary on television, right? God, speak to me in, in this time. When you're at school and you're solving a difficult math problem like God, I, I, I love math. I love this. Right, Speak to me through this, this, this math lesson today. Right? When you, where you're talking to people, when you're reading scientific journals, what, what, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, say, God, you know how I'm wired. Speak to me in my language. So I, I would challenge you to do that this week. And if you're wild and crazy and want to go above and beyond, maybe the other thing that you can ask God to do is speak to you in the language that you're not comfortable with. Right? If I'm a person of faith to say, God, you know what? I have a lot of faith and I thank you for giving me that faith. I believe in the Bible. I believe in the stuff that we learn at church. But if I'm honest with myself, I also have some questions that I've been scared to share with you, God. And I want to be honest, Lord. And so here's some of my questions can you help me answer some of these? Or can you send me to somebody to wrestle with this, right? Maybe my small group, maybe my pastor, maybe someone that, that I know at church, right? Or, or, or if we're a person who asks questions and needs reason and all that kind of stuff to say, God, thank you for speaking to me in, in this way, but also, God, could you grow my faith? That I could just accept you from the surface level, that I could believe in the Bible, that I could believe in miracles, I could believe that you're real, right? God, God, help me grow not only in my, my questioning, but help me grow in my faith. And I think God will honor both of us in that, right? In prayer, there's room for both trust uh, and there's room for questions.